We begin session number 10, and we are in Romans chapter 8, and many would call this the um, diamond chapter of the book of uh, Romans, or the, the pinnacle, talking about life in the spirit. Remember, this book was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, and most historians would believe that it was not the church in Rome was not founded by an apostle. And so Paul is writing this book to lay out uh, basic uh, doctrinal foundations of Christianity. And that's why this book is so important for us to read and read and read again. I think it just takes a long time uh, for the writings of Paul to kind of sink in and make sense uh, as the Holy Spirit uh, brings understanding to our minds. So chapter 8 is about life to the Spirit. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending in his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. At the end of chapter 7, uh, Paul talks about what a wretched man I am. He said, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? That was back in verse 24 of chapter 7. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So Paul points out this struggle. Now, I know many people would look at chapter 7 and talk about when Paul had that conversion experience on Damascus Road with Jesus, that his heart was turned, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, he 
went away from the law and pursued life in the spirit, which I, I think is true, obviously, based on his preaching. And so many people believe that he was writing about his time before he was saved, which I think is true. But I also believe that Paul struggled with sin even when he was walking in the spirit, just like you and I uh, struggle with sin. And, and, and we talked about in the last session how it's important for us to feed the right man, right? We can either feed the spirit man or we can feed our carnal nature. In fact, we don't really have to do much to feed our carnal nature because that is our natural instinct. We're inclined uh, to want to sin. So positionally, we are in Christ, but we still live in this fleshly body. It's important to remember that we are a spirit who has a soul who lives in a fleshly body. And Paul talks about a couple times through the New Testament about how when we are transformed into our heavenly bodies, that propensity for sin will disappear because Scripture says that no man can, no flesh will glory in God's presence. And wow, do we look forward to that day where sin uh, has no mastery over us whatsoever. Uh, we need to kill the deeds uh, or the works of the flesh uh, things that cause us to sin, because we have been called to be free, but we cannot use our freedom to indulge the flesh. You know, people in America today uh, believe freedom is to get what I want to do and do what I want to do unhinged from any sort of personal responsibility or accountability, and that's not what the Bible talks about. We've read this passage before, but let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. In verse 16, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So then you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. One of the things I've realized is how difficult it is to walk in the spirit on a continual basis because it's really a moment-by-moment, thought-by-thought, experience. We have to consciously be aware of everything we do, say, think, and process that through the Word of God and through the uh, spiritual filter of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict our, convict our hearts and lead us uh, towards righteousness. Because our natural propensity is to slide back into that carnal, fleshly nature that we were born with under Adam, but we know that Jesus came He's the, called the second Adam. And, of course, his work was greater um, than what sin could do to us. And so that's why important, it's important for us to understand the power of the gospel message and how transformational it can be uh, of setting a sinner free from the bondage of sin and leading them to a life of joy, peace, holiness, righteousness in Christ. Let's move over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Here Paul is imploring us to get rid of earthly things, get our mind off of earthly things and get them on eternal and spiritual things. And he's also reminding us to remember our position in Christ. I think many of us go through life and we don't think about necessarily what Christ has done for us, much less do we think about how that's positioned us uh, to do good services and good works for him, which he has prepared uh, in advance for us to do. And obviously, you know, if we decide that we don't want to pursue the will of God and allow him to lead us and use us in uh, earthly ministry. It doesn't mean that uh, his work will not be done. It just means that he will use uh, somebody else. But God wants to use us. He's called us uh, to do good works for, for him in, uh, in Christ Jesus. So we should think more about Christ in our position with him. Uh, it's also important to remember that we're free from sin and death. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We've been justified and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a deposit for salvation. But the Holy Spirit does a lot more than that. He is the power, the sustaining power. You know, Paul talked right there in Romans 8 about how the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And that's something that we can really think about for a while, and it will really change our outlook on life, recognizing that we have a supernatural power deep within us, uh, this third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit, which many of us probably are not sensitive to his leading enough. Um, because, let's be honest, I mean, I, <laughs> I find myself guilty of this. We prefer to use our own reason and logic, and especially if it works for us, right? I mean, that's what pragma pragmatism is, right? If it works for you or it works for me, then it can, it can work for you. Well, that's not necessarily biblical uh, just because it works. Um, what is the spiritual benefit is it, is it based on a spiritual truth? Just because you're getting through life in this earthly vessel uh, does not mean you're accomplishing or we're not, we may not be accomplishing anything for Christ or pursuing what Christ wants us to do. That's one of the greatest tricks of Satan is to keep our lives so busy and distracted with things that have the appearance of holiness but yet don't have any power in them. And so all of us can be guilty uh, of pursuing things that are not eternal and focusing on things that are very superficial and very surface-driven and very temporal here on this earth. You know, I've heard a couple preachers say 
that the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something you necessarily receive. It's something that you release. Uh, it's something that bubbles up inside of you and, and pours out into ministry. That is where the power of God is in full effect when we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us as a vessel. And, and many times, uh, God uses us more when we do not realize it uh, because we get our flesh out of the way and we just allow him uh, to do his work. Um, one of the big problems with American church evangelism is uh, many try to do the Lord's work and reach people and uh, do ministry devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Another thing about the Holy Spirit that's important to remember that he provides the believer with boldness to be a witness for Christ. I think of Peter often on the day of Pentecost and how he was such a different man then under the uh, anointing and the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit than he was uh, when Jesus was being crucified and he was watching him from a distance and was accused of being a follower of Christ and cursed and, de and uh, denied Jesus three times. So that is what the Holy Spirit can do. It can take the sinner that's timid and fearful and uh, give him self-confidence and the ability to uh, be a witness for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's continue to read in chapter 4 of Second Corinthians. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Even, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And then he says in verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. One of the things that uh, amazes me about my relationship with the Lord is how he continually pushes me into areas where I must depend on him more and more. And 
it's uncomfortable. I don't always like it. I mean, most of us, I think, would prefer to um, operate in a comfortable zone where we can fully use our logic and wisdom to navigate to this life and have success with those decisions. And many times we pray prayers according to that, um, to that very thing. Uh, Lord, protect me. Lord, uh, give me this. Lord, give me that. <laughs> and sometimes the Lord is, well, I think he wants to push us out of our comfort zone so that we don't have self-confidence, but we, but we have godly confidence. We know that self-confidence is not godly confidence. And our confidence is found in the authority of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is at work in us. It's a supernatural confidence, not a fleshly confidence. But since we live in this fleshly tent, we kind of have a tendency to uh, want to protect that flesh. Isn't that amazing how that works? And when we're in the flesh, we're not capable of righteousness and obedience to the, to the Lord. And uh, because <laughs> we just, the law, even if we try to keep the law in the flesh, uh, we can't. And we, we cannot be declared righteousness outside of what Christ has accomplished on the cross and putting our faith in the finished work of Christ. So we know that the law is not capable of saving us or bringing righteousness to us. Uh, in fact, the law is kind of a taskmaster that brings condemnation uh, for the sinner. The, the law is spiritual, but the problem is, is that we are carnal and fleshly. And that's why Jesus told uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that we must be born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus re replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In fact, if we go over to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, when Jesus sent out the twelve, he said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So it's interesting how that God, sometimes in our preparation, in our own intellect, in our own knowledge, uh, we can outline everything that we want to say. And we think it's a very articulate message. And I'm not saying that we don't prepare, or we do not um, put in the due time to study and pray. But ultimately, we have to be sensitive at the moment of ministry to allow the Holy Spirit to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And you know what? At the right time, the Holy Spirit will show up and will empower you to say what needs to be said and help you do 
what needs to be done in a way that you could never imagine on your own. Let's look at another passage in Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll go to verse 19. It says there, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence that in the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us to the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I want to jump over to verse 35, and it says, well, let's go back to verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved. So there is a sense of boldness that comes when we serve Christ, or at least there should be, and that is the working in the power of the Holy Spirit to push on or proclaim the gospel message. And sometimes it comes at a very heavy cost. But we know that those who are in Christ Jesus have a greater reward on the other side of this life. Uh, this is just a temporal place, and even if we make it 70, 80, 90, even to 100 years, that pales in comparison uh, to eternity. You know, an another purpose of the Holy Spirit is for us to be one in Christ. Let's look at a passage in John chapter 17. And this is just before Jesus was arrested and he's praying for his disciples. And I'm going to skip down to verse 13. And he said, I am coming to you now. This is Jesus praying. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may also be in them and that I myself may be in them. That's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to give us the mind of Christ and to unity with Christ and with God our Father. That's what the gospel message is all about. It's connecting us with our Creator and accomplishing His perfect will in this imperfect world and using us as witnesses on the earth for His glory and His goodness and His love. We are a testament. We carry that testimony wherever we go and whatever we do. So one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness of the love of Christ inside of us and the love of the Father. The Holy Spirit imparts to us some confidence that through Christ and with Christ, we are now the children of God. And the Holy Spirit makes that truth real to remind us that Christ loves us and he lives in us and he's in heaven as our mediator. Uh, the Spirit shows us that the Father loves us as his adopted children. Uh, that's why it says we cry out, Abba, Father, there in uh, chapter 8 of Romans. Finally, the Spirit creates in us the love and confidence by which we cry to him and desire to accomplish his will. Uh, Paul reminds us that a victorious life in the Spirit is not an easy path. Jesus suffered, and those who followed him will also suffer. And this suffering is considered a suffering with him, and it is the consequence of our relationship to God as his children, also a part of our identity with Christ as we are witnesses for him, and we have this desire uh, not to conform to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the authority of God's word. So I want to close. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit again next session as we conclude this chapter chapter 8 of Romans. But I want to close with an old song that we used to sing as kids, and it uh, reminded me of the Holy Spirit, and also when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he said, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but anybody that drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's a spring up, oh well. I've got a river of life flowing out of me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundantly.